Palm Sunday. A couple years ago, I, uh, I worked at Liberty. Some of you guys know that. And I, and I managed about 3,000 students a semester. Uh, so we would be in charge from all the way from PhD level down to undergrad level. But our total lot uh, for this one professor that I worked for was 3,000 students a year, a semester. So we, we were dealing really with about 6,000 people a year. And when you're dealing with 6,000 people, you have to have some systems in your life to help you manage that many people. And so I had a team of around 20 people who worked for me. And some of it was like, anybody in here remember Scantrons? Okay. <laughs> All the young people are like, what's a Scantron? Okay. They're those pieces of paper that you fill out with the bubbles and you fill in the bubble. And we would use those every class to help us do quizzes and things like that. And for attendance, because you can't call roll with 3000 people. Okay. It just takes too long. Right. And so we would have them fill them out. And then once we would get those back, we would alphabetize them, mark attendance, grade them, and then enter them into the computer. So on an average week, we're entering probably around 9,000 grades. And so we, we needed a team. And uh, there's this really small job that I had that was just taking all of the papers and organizing them alphabetically. Didn't take too long. We had a really good system for it. And so I was like, you know, I'm not going to necessarily hire this position. I'm going to have like a volunteer. And so uh, we ended up uh, bringing on this young lady. Her name was Sarah Elliott. And Sarah was just like, I'm looking for some like, you know, like Christian service, kind of like community service hours. So I was like, great, we can provide that here with what you're doing. Jump on in. And what I began to realize is, is Sarah had a lot more potential than what I originally brought her on for. Like she would, you know, alphabetize all the scantrons and then she'd be like, hey, is there anything else I can do? Can I, can I, you know, like enter this or can I clean? Like one day I walked in, she's in my office, just dusting everything, right? Organizing my desk. I was like, oh, hey, she's like, I'm sorry. I I might've overstepped my, I'm like, hey, it's cool. Thank you. Thank you so much. And so Sarah quickly went from a volunteer to a hired position. And I brought her on and I actually had her begin to start leading teams and having a lot of influence because she just like kept exceeding expectations. Like I originally brought her on just to alphabetize Scantrons and now she is doing like all of this work. Well, then Kelsey and I got pregnant with Piper. I didn't get pregnant. Kelsey got pregnant. And so... Uh, We had Piper, and when Piper was born, uh, when she was six months old, we found out that that Kelsey was pregnant with Tatum. It was a huge surprise. And um, and Kelsey was working during that time as a a kindergarten teacher. And so um, we moved into this townhouse, and Sarah was there, and we had become friends. And so I was like, how are you going to work, and what are we going to do with Piper? Like, I I don't know what we're going to do. Well... I was talking with Sarah and she's like, hey, why don't I nanny for you? Why don't I just nanny for you full time? And I was like, Sarah, I don't, you know how little money I make. Uh, There's no way we can afford you as a nanny. And she's like, I tell you what, her husband was getting ready to be deployed. If you guys will just give me free space to live and cover the utilities, I'll nanny for you for free. And so for a year, Sarah was our 
nanny. And she just like helped out during the day. And then when Kelsey and I got home, like we were mom and dad, but it saved us from taking her to childcare. And so this, this like young, kind of like 20 year old girl who just needed Christian service hours ended up years later being our nanny. And our kids still call her Nanny Sarah. And she is a lifelong friend. You know, when I brought Sarah onto the team, I really didn't see her for what she was really worth. I really didn't see her fullest potential. And the original reason I brought her on, no way would I have imagined that she would one day help Nanny for our family. Have you ever done that with somebody in your life? Have you ever done that? You like totally underestimated what someone could do and, and why they were there and the things that they could accomplish? Well, today, I want us to take a look at the triumphal entry of Jesus. And, and here's what I think we're going to see. A lot of us have underestimated Jesus. A lot of us have probably brought Jesus into our life at some point in our life for a particular reason, but now you're starting to realize that Jesus is so much more than why you originally asked him to come into your life, right? Because he wasn't just there to save your soul. He's there to rescue your life. He's there to help you. He's there to, to grow you into his image and do so much more in your life than you originally thought. When we look at the text today, Jesus is going to be entering into Jerusalem as a king, just not the king that they expected, just not at the level that they expected him to enter into. They had low expectations compared to what he was really going to accomplish. And so today, I want to jump in to the book of Matthew, starting in, in, we'll be in chapter 21 the whole time, the triumphal entry of Jesus. So I'm going to read uh, the very first part of this passage. It says this. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Colt's like a baby male donkey, just a little baby. It's called a colt. It says this, untie them and bring, bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say this, the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. Isn't that good? Like, hey, why, why are you untying that donkey? Is that your donkey? The Lord needs them. Okay, yeah, all right, go, get out of here. So this took place to fulfill what was spoken uh, through the prophet, say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the fowl of the donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. This is where we're going to start our story today because for so many of us, God entered your life just like he did in this story. God entered your life with kindness. God came into your life and my life in kindness he, he, this imagery of, of what is going on here is pretty profound because Jesus is entering into Jerusalem as a king. He is going to be this king over Israel and far beyond that. And he enters in on a donkey. Has anyone ever in here like, there's a big difference between a donkey and a horse, okay? Like how many of us, when you imagine a king coming into a city, you go, oh, in my head, they're riding a donkey. They were just riding this little, and there's the babies right next to it. And it's just like Jesus riding a donkey with a little baby, and here we go. 
In Israel, in this passage, what we're going to see is there's some people there and they're going to start celebrating. But I bet in the back of their mind, they were like, a donkey and a baby? This is how the king Messiah is going to come into Jerusalem riding on a donkey and a baby. And here's what Jesus is doing. Jesus is exceeding the expectation of what is going on. Because Jesus is not a Messiah king coming to kill Rome. Jesus is a Messiah king coming to kill sin and death. And the people had this expectation at the time that, hey, Jesus is coming here. And what he's going to do is he's going to eradicate the Romans out of Jerusalem. That's why the Messiah is coming. And it's like, your expectations are not high enough. Jesus isn't here to just get rid of the Romans. In fact, Jesus is here to save them. Jesus is coming in to your life gently and kindly, because why? For those whom he is trying to reach, he comes in peacefully. Doesn't mean that it can't be Big. It doesn't mean that it can't be, you know, th- this big moment, but Jesus is not at war with you. Jesus is at war with what is in you. And so Jesus enters into Jerusalem to say, I'm not at war with the Romans. I'm at war with what's inside of them. And so Jesus enters in to their lives in this peaceful moment, right? He's riding a donkey with its baby and he comes into the story. This like for us, we read this because we hear this every Easter, right? Every Easter we're at Palm Sunday, right? Like this is the story we hear every year, but Jesus is sending a message to the people. That's like, look, I am the King of peace. I am the King that, that is good and kind and gracious and full of peace. And so what happens for a lot of us is we kind of have these expectations of God in our life. And I'm, I'm wondering if in your life with whatever you're dealing with in this room right now, is, is your expectation high enough? Because here's the deal. As we move into the passage, the people have this expectation that Jesus is a king. They get part of it right. They just don't understand the kind of kingdom he's coming to establish. Let me ask you a question. Do you believe Jesus is king, but are you quite sure in your heart and your mind the kind of kingdom he's coming to establish in your life? What is he really coming in to do in your life? What what is he really, you know, accomplishing? And so are you expecting enough from God in this room? And I know that some of you have huge expectations. My question is, do you have high enough expectations of who God is? Because I think for a lot of us, we kind of believed and first believed for many of us, and this isn't wrong, that Jesus is here to rescue us from our troubles. But Jesus isn't just here to rescue you from your troubles. He's here to rescue your soul. That's why he came in. He didn't just come here to make this life heaven. Heaven is somewhere else. And for a lot of us, we're asking God right now, can you make this place heaven? Can you make this place heaven for me? And Jesus goes, this isn't heaven. This isn't going to be the end of the line. And so I'm doing something much higher and greater than you're expecting. But some of us are disappointed in God. And let's just be honest in the room. 
Some of us are disappointed in God in our life right now, not because God isn't doing incredible things, but because our expectations of him are not high enough. Because like, let's be honest, in the story, if you're familiar with the story, if you don't know, you need to come back next week. So close your ears and say, no, 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 no. I'm going to spoiler alert, okay? This isn't the, this isn't, this week doesn't end the way that they thought. Because some people that were in this crowd acknowledging Jesus as a king didn't necessarily agree with the way that in the type of kingdom that Jesus was establishing. And so they also become part of the crowd that yells crucify him. What happened in six days? It seems like people's expectations weren't met. So they turned on Jesus instead of elevating their expectation. But Jesus was coming in riding on a donkey with a baby next to it not because he couldn't get anything else. It's not like, well, you didn't go to the, like, the horse rental place. and be like, hey, you guys got anything? I need to fill, fulfill some prophecy. And they're like, all we got is a donkey. And he's like, oh, I'll take it if it's all you got. No, this is intentional. Jesus is telling a story, a greater story of a higher expectation. What he's saying is this. I'm a king of peace, not of war, because I'm not at war with humanity. I'm at war with what's inside of you. I'm doing something greater than you ever expected or imagined. And so for a lot of us in this room, we, we have this expectation of God that get, gets kind of skewed. Matthew 21, verses 8 9. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from trees and spread them on the road. This is a classic triumphal entry of a king. They think, you're coming in to get rid of the Romans. Jesus is like, I'm winning a different battle. But they're establishing, like, you are a king who is in victory, walking in to this place. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed him shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest of heaven. We're going to get back to that word, Hosanna. Everyone say, Hosanna. Hosanna. This is important. But what's say, being said in the text and what's happening here is really beautiful. So a lot of us have this kind of expectation. I actually, okay, so this week in order to get this picture, um, cause I couldn't find any, I was like searching artwork of Jesus and, and like him at Armageddon, right? The battle of Armageddon is going to be the final battle that happens in Israel. And Jesus rides in on a horse. He's got like justice written on his thigh. Like it's big. And so I kept looking no one imagined this because I think all of us sometimes have different expectations of who God is. So can you put up the first, I had AI generate this picture. This is what I think a lot of us think about Jesus, especially after we get saved. This is what we think about Jesus in our culture right now as he's coming in against our culture. And because this is our expectation of who Jesus is, <clears throat> this is how we treat people. Have you noticed that a lot of us as Christians are at war with the culture right now and not necessarily trying to win the culture? How did Jesus enter in to the kingdom of Jerusalem to win people but kill sin? He rode in on a donkey with a fowl. And yet for a lot of us here, we become holy hitmen, we become holy rollers, and instead of winning people, we want to be right. Can I just tell you something? It's okay to be right, but that's not our call. 
as Christians, we are not called to be right. We are called to win people to the gospel. And let me tell you something. If your goal is to just run over the culture and demolish the culture and annihilate the people in it, I don't know if you are looking at the right thing because Jesus comes back at Armageddon to defeat Satan and his army. That's the warrior king in Armageddon. When he comes in to begin to rescue people, he rides on a donkey and a fowl. So does that mean we don't need to stand up against some things in culture? Does that mean that we don't need to say what the truth is? Does that mean that we don't stand firm on the truth of the word of God? Absolutely not. We stand firm on those things and we engage the culture, but we do it in a way that is winsome. We do it in a way that brings peace because we are called to be what in the gospel of Matthew? Peacemakers. And so for a lot of us, This is what goes on. And because you have this image about what is going on in your life, and this is true, Jesus is coming back in Revelation at the end times. And it is going to be this warrior king, but he's fighting a different battle at that time. The battle that he's fighting here when he's coming into Jerusalem is he's rescuing people. So he comes as a king of peace and in humility. Let's show the other picture of the triumphal entry. This is... The scariest thing in this picture is the donkey has its ears pinned back, right? The donkey looks upset. But he's not riding in slouched over. He's not riding in as one who is fearful or scared. He is riding in as one who is confident, who is on mission to win and rescue people. My question to us is, do you have high enough expectations of God? Because Jesus is coming in to people's lives in this story to rescue them. To, yes, overcome sin and death. And the way that he defeats that is by humbly dying on a cross for you and I. And yes, in Revelation, he will come in and he will be this warrior. And it's going to look more like picture one. But the question is, is as we as Christians in our own lives and in the lives of other people around us right now, are you at Armageddon? Or are you a triumphal entry? The purpose of the way that they were reaching people at this time and what Jesus was trying to accomplish is Easter is about what? When the victory is won, but Jesus comes in to rescue people. He enters humbly and peaceably in this moment. And I just, I want to ask all of us, like when you're asking God to come into your life, do you have high enough expectations of who God is and what he can do? Or are you struggling? Are you, are you expecting different things? Are you expecting the way that Jesus comes into your life to be abrasive and, and, and kind of like annihilating everything? Remember that Jesus is winning a victory in your life perfectly. And he doesn't take shortcuts. And so he's going to enter our, our life in so many ways. But I think for a lot of us, The reason why we ask Jesus into our life, the reason he comes in, and what he's going to actually accomplish are far different. For the people of this story, they are worshiping Jesus as this Messiah King who's going to annihilate Rome. And when Jesus doesn't annihilate Rome, they turn on him. Jesus came in set on the same exact mission. He just wasn't accomplishing that mission in the way that they expected it. Are you in your faith right now 
getting ready to turn and walk away from God because he's winning the victory in your life in a way that's different than you expected. And so what happens is, is like, let me ask this. Are you hoping that Jesus fixes something in your life or is he Lord of your life? I think for a lot of us, like we hope that Jesus comes in as this fixer. Like, hey, I'm going to ask you in and all my problems and all my worries and everything's going to go away. And Jesus is like, that is true one day. That is true. There is a promise in Revelation that there will be no more sorrow, no more pain, no more mourning, none of these things that we will live with God eternally on the new, in the new heaven and the new earth. We will be with him. But for a lot of us is we, we brought Jesus in our lives for a reason that doesn't quite add up. And this is, I want to let you guys in on the largest, fastest growing religion. That's probably the most dominant religion in the United States right now. It's called moral therapeutic deism. Moral therapeutic. I heard, what's that? I'm going to tell you just a second. I like that. They're in like, What is that? I don't know. Okay. Moral therapeutic deism is the fastest growing religion in the fastest growing worldview in the United States right now. Let me tell you what one of the tenets of moral therapeutic deism, this definition came from Al Mohler. This would be like one of their key aspects of it. God does not need to be particularly involved in one's life except when God is needed to resolve a problem. This is the most dominant worldview right now. God does not need to be involved in my life until I have a problem. So let me ask just everybody in here, because let me just tell you something. If, if there's a part of your life, if there's any part of your life, you, you might have part of this in your life. Let me just be honest with you. There might be a portion of your life where God comes in and you bring him in when it's really bad. Right, like, and, and this comes into a lot of the areas of addiction or things that we are dealing with that we hide away and we're not bringing God in. But when things blow up and we're discovered and things come out, now we're going to bring in to fix it. This is really tough. I didn't need you when I was dealing with all this. I had it under control. Now that it's all bad, now can you come in? And so let me just tell you some ways that our culture tends to view Jesus when we're in a moral therapeutic deism mindset. And maybe some of this will ring home for you. Jesus is our divine therapist. Jesus is your therapist. Jesus, like anytime that something's wrong, anytime you're sad, anytime this, you go to Jesus. Awesome. I love that. You're struggling. You're having a hard time. You're, 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 you're working through your past. You're working through what happened to you. You're working through trauma. You're working through doubt. <clears throat> you go to Jesus. But as soon as that problem passes, you're like, hey, thanks. I'm gone. Jesus is just there. Like when you're in trouble and your heart is worried and then you go, hey, Jesus, I need you right now. Now that I'm fixed. Thanks, man. Appreciate you. I'll see if anything else comes up. But otherwise, I'm going to live my life as if you're not there. I'll tithe a little bit. I'll go to church for a few weeks, especially while I'm in this therapy, because like, I feel like that's how you're going to work in my life, because it's like you're paying God. God doesn't need that. And then when you're all good, you're all gone. And he's all gone. Or what about this? Jesus is our hitman. Jesus is your holy hitman. Hey, I got a problem? Go get it. Hey, I messed up my marriage? Go 
get it. Hey, I messed up my finances, go kill it. Hey, I messed this up, go get them. Hey, these people in culture, they're against me, go get them. Thanks, you killed it. See you when I need you. Jesus is your holy hitman. You just call on him to go kill things in your life, to go dominate things in your life. And then when it's done, you're like, hey, that was great. Great work, man. Thank you so much. It's like Jesus is your employee, but he's 1099, right? Like you just bring him in when you need him. You can't tell him how to do the work. You're like, I'm not W2ing you, man. I can't pay the taxes. How about this? Jesus becomes your ATM. When do you go to the ATM? When do you need money? Anybody go to the ATM just to say hi? <laughs> Anyone show up at the ATM and be like, man, it's been a while. You doing okay? How's life? You still spitting out that money? Yeah, all right, let's go. People treating you good? Okay, great, great, great. No, I go to the ATM when I need provision. Otherwise, we don't have a relationship. I haven't named my ATM. I don't know its feelings or anything. That's what Jesus is to you. He's your divine ATM. Hey, got some problems? Uh, bank account's real low. Hey, uh, if you could just fill up my account, that'd be great. Hey, uh, we need some food. Could you show up? Hey, I'm feeling kind of lonely. Can you give me an experience? Like I just, I need like a, a hit of you. That's it. It's just a little provision. That's all I'm asking for in my life. Let me tell you something. None of these are wrong in them of themselves. The wrong part of it is the part where we leave. You need provision? Go to God. You shouldn't even have to go. You should be there already. And he already knows. You're lonely. You're depressed. You're, you're hurting. You don't go to the office. You're living at the office. He's living. You, you need, you know, you need something in your life to die. You need him to dominate something in your life. You don't need to make a phone call. He's there and he's working it out. The problem with all of these is not Jesus, it's us. Because we have low expectations of who God is. We thought he was a king coming in to give us things. We thought he was a king coming in to kill things in our life. We thought he was a king coming in to to provide for us. And he is, but he's not a king who's at our beck and call. He is a king of kings and he is a Lord of lords. Are you not seeing God working in your life right now because you have low expectations of who God is? Because let me just tell you something. We may leave, but he does not. He doesn't. He doesn't leave. He doesn't forsake us and move away. Or how about this? Jesus becomes our maid. Hey, man, my life's messed up. It's like a hotel. It's like you've been living all the life you want to live. You maybe partied a little bit too hard. Anyone ever been there? Then what? The hotel maid comes in and it's like, hey, I'm really sorry. We, we had a time yesterday. Um, I don't even remember last night. But um, if, you could, um, if you could just get this cleaned up real quick and change the sheets and, and make the bed and just like, could you get this all cleaned up? I know I, I messed up. Could you help me clean up the mess? And don't worry, there's a fiver on the desk for you. See, a lot of us only bring Jesus in when there's a real big mess to clean up in our life. 
there may not have been a mess to clean up in your life if you were just with him the whole time. Can anyone testify to that? Do you have low expectations of who God is? Jesus isn't your maid, but Jesus will definitely clean up our messes. What about this? He's our fixer. Every problem that we have, can you just fix that? My marriage is messed up. Could you just fix that? I'll come to church for a few weeks. Could you just make the pastor preach some messages that specifically are for me um, about my marriage? That'd be great. Man, man, my, my, my kids are messed up. Could you just fix that? Man, man, my life is just, this is just hard. I've done some things. Could you just fix it? I, I don't know what to do. I'm just going to sit here, but could you just fix it? And finally, I think this is true for a lot of us. And I think, honestly, this is where moral therapeutic deism is. Do you see how all of this fits into moral therapeutic deism? God doesn't come into the picture until there's a big problem in the picture is this, Jesus is our genie. Hey, I just, I'm gonna pray. I got some big wishes. I got some big things to ask you for right now. Could, that'd be great if you could do that. Can God do some things in your life that you've hoped for and dreamed for and asked for? 100%. But he's not a, a lamp that you go and rub and then when you're done getting the wish, he goes back in the cupboard and the lamp. This is what Israel was expecting. Could you just show up and kill our enemy? Could you fix our problem? Could you clean up the mess? Could you provide some provision? Could you just, could you be our therapist so we could cry out to you when we're in trouble, but we really don't cry out much more? The reason I talked about moral therapeutic deism is because I think it's present right there. Because I think that this is a problem that humanity has dealt with for a very long time. We just put a name on it now. And so let me just ask all of us in this room, how are you viewing God? Do you have a high enough expectation of who Jesus is? But then we go on to the next part of the verses that say Hosanna. Everyone say Hosanna. Oh, this is good. Can I just say something to somebody in here right now? You don't have to ask Jesus into your life for all the right reasons. Jesus isn't like, well, you didn't ask right. Well, well, is everything there? Is this? Jesus will take the faith of where it is now. We'll get into that in just a second. But the question for us is, Hosanna is this interesting word. It's not a name. It's a declaration. Hosanna comes from these, these two Hebrew words, and, and it's literally that they just wrote the letters down in Greek, and we're like, here, this is what this is, Hosanna. But it means this. The first part of the word means save, rescue. It's a plea for help, right? This literally Hosanna means save me, please. Rescue me, please. And what's interesting is, is this, this word <clears throat> is taken in two really unique ways because the first one is a plea and the second one is confidence, the first one is like, please save me. And the second part of the meaning of the word is, and you will. And what Jesus is going to make clear is like, when we really have expectations of who God is, when we really know not just the God who can do things for us, but the God who loves us, our cries can become our confidence very quickly. 
That's exactly what happens in the passage here. When the text indicates that they are saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, who, who are you? Like you are the son of David. This is the, what? Please save us. Because they believe that the Messiah who would save them came out of the line of David. Hosanna to the son of David. Hosanna, please save me, son of David. But then it goes on to say what? Hosanna in the highest of heaven. That's a declaration of victory. And so quickly what Israel is saying in this moment, even though they have a low expectation of God, is this. Please save us and we know that you will. Please save us. And we know that you will. And that's why they're having a triumphal entry before the battle's been won. Because they believe not just that Jesus can save them, but that he will save them. But what happens is, is Jesus is going to save them in a way that they weren't expecting. Jesus is going to say this, I could save you from the Romans, but the problem that you really have is not the Romans, it's in you. Because how many times in the history of Israel have they asked for kings? In fact, there's books about it called First and Second Kings. First and Second Kings are these books about Israel saying, man, if we only had a king, we'd be okay. That's literally what the books are about. Man, if we only had a king, it'd be okay. And then they get bad kings and they don't listen to the kings and they keep needing new kings. Do you notice that after a while, Israel no longer has a king? Why? We all think that kings will rescue us. We don't need just a king. We need a savior. We need a Lord. And so what happens is, is for so many of us, Jesus is king ATM. Jesus is king therapist. Jesus is king fixer. Jesus is king, name it. But then we realize that we didn't, he did accomplish what we needed, but what was really needed in us is not the problem to be fixed, but our hearts to be fixed. That's what the Lord does. That's what the Lord does. He transforms and shapes our hearts by the hope of the gospel and what he accomplished for us. So let me ask you right now, what is your Hosanna cry right now? Do you believe? Because, man, where's your expectation of God? Because, man, are, are you as confident as Israel was? And I want to give them credit for this. Because they do believe that God is going to save them. Even though their expectation was low, their confidence was right. He is going to save them. He is going to rescue them. And he's going to actually work through their disappointment in what he was going to do to accomplish something so much better. He exceeded their expectations. He, he, and, and I think in this room, like what can happen if you're like me as I was studying this, I was like, man, I'm not good. Man, I've asked God in my life in so many ways that I, I wasn't really who he was and, and how I should expect him. Man, I hope he still loves me. And the beauty of this story is that this is really a Monday, but Friday and Saturday are coming. And even though Israel didn't have the right expectation, Jesus still got on that cross and Jesus still loved them even though they didn't see him for who he really was. Because let me just tell you something, God's mission in your life is much bigger than your expectation of him and he's okay with that. A lot of us in this room 
When people don't see us for who we really are or we're not valued for what we really are, we're out. And that's what scares a lot of us in this room with God. Man, I'm I'm realizing I didn't quite see God the way that I should see him in this place and in this time. Is he out? No. Because who God is in in his, his confidence is not built on what we believe about him. It's based solely in who he is. And isn't that good that even when we didn't have the right expectation of him, he still went to the cross anyway? That he still accomplished the work anyway? And so as we get ready to end this morning, we're going to sing. Here's what I want to encourage all of us with today. Because I don't want to knock on Israel. I don't want to say like, man, you guys are fools. You guys didn't get it. They didn't get it. But they believed with what they had. Israel believed with what they had. Their expectation may have been wrong of God and God was getting ready to exceed their expectation, but I want to give them credit here. They believed with what they had. And that's what I want to encourage us with in this room this week because Easter can be a super season of encouragement and it also can be a season of discouragement because God isn't working in your life the way that you thought he would. So here's what I'm going to ask all of us to do. Believe with what you have right now. It doesn't have to be perfect faith. It doesn't have to be like all these boxes ticked. Do you believe that Jesus loves you, that he lived for you, that he died for you, and that he rose again? And maybe there are some places in your life where you're bringing him in in these ways that aren't quite right. Believe with the faith that you have now and allow God to grow the faith in you over time. See, if we make this life, this Christianity, all about like these, these kind of like earnings and deposits and checks and all those things, you're going to miss all of this. Jesus wants what you have now, and he's going to grow and build more in you later. Let me ask us all a question, though. Have your eyes been open, and do you have higher expectations of God? Some of us are in this room, we're getting ready to quit. Or maybe some of us quit in this room a long time ago. And we just, you know, we didn't pull the eject button because that means really reorienting our life. But maybe, and not maybe, the problem isn't God. The problem is our expectation of what he's going to do. So do you think he's a king coming to kill Rome? Or do you think he's a king that's coming to save your life? To save your soul? And so is he king or is he just, or is he Lord? Is he here to rescue you your whole life, not just part of it? I told you we were maybe looking at Easter and the triumphal entry a little differently than the message you may have heard in the past. But I think this is the beautiful message of Jesus riding in on a donkey with a fowl. He is more than we could ever hope for or imagine. Don't give up on him, but allow him to open your eyes in faith, to believe and see who he really is, to see what he can really do in your life. I believe, I believe and know that God has an incredible work in your life right now. I believe and know that even though you miss the expectations, he's not offended, he's ready to exceed them. Ask him to show you who he is. 
Ask him to reveal who he is. And maybe some of those things that you thought you needed, you'll realize when you have him, you don't need them. That's real healing. That's real freedom. That's real peace. And that's exactly why he came into this life. And so we're going to sing a song, Cody, and the band's going to come up now. But I want to pray over us as we end this morning. And I am asking and praying and believing and hoping you all be here next week with us. One of the most exciting things happening in the life of our church is happening next week. We are launching the full Spanish service next week. Pastor Carlos, can you come up here real quick? He wasn't expecting this. See, I'm exceeding his expectations. This is my friend, Carlos Alamán. And he will be preaching and teaching the messages that will coincide with the services happening in here. And so here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Would you just come say hi to Carlos and his family today? Would you greet them and welcome them with open arms as a church who's ready to run alongside him and where we're heading towards bringing God to people and people to God in their life? This man has a wealth of knowledge. This man has incredible faith and belief. He sends me such encouraging messages all the time. And, you know, God exceeded our expectations when he brought Carlos here. And so we're believing because, man, we had good expectations and God has incredible ones. And we're believing and trusting that lives, families, generations of families are going to be changed by the work that we do together. And so, church, would you welcome Pastor Carlos to the Bedrock family? And would you say hi to him this week? Thank you. Of course. Love you, man. Love you. Love you. And so let's pray. It's been a good morning. God's so good. Would you join me? Father, we love you. We thank you for this day, your word and your truth. And I thank you that God, you you exceeded expectations because you weren't just there to kill Rome. You were there to save us. So God, today as we sing, Hosanna, Hosanna, would it be a cry? But would it become our confidence that you are the God who will and the God who can? And so whatever part of our life we were bringing you in and when you did your work, we were gone. God, can you help us break that habit? Can you help us break that moment? We wanna live a life of peace with our Lord. And so God, would you speak to us now? Would you minister to our souls in this song, in this singing and in this worship? May we respond out of the genuineness of our hearts. God, we love you. We thank you in Christ's name. And everybody said.